Welcome to The Focus by Pupil, a podcast designed for students covering education, mentorship, and everything in between. I'm Daniel Naya, the host and co-founder of Pupil, and with me today is my co-host, Luca Hadari. He is an aspiring community leader from Chicago and a good friend of mine. We're super excited to have Dean Williams with us today. He is the Dean of Admissions at NYU, and today we'll be talking about educational equity within the university atmosphere. Hi, Dean Williams. How's your day going? Hey there. Good to see you. Day's going pretty well. Not, not too bad. Thanks. Awesome. And just a few quick intros so we get to really know who you are. Who are you, Dean Williams, and how did you grow up? <laughs> That's a big and loaded question, but um, <laughs> uh, thanks for asking. So I'm uh, the, the proud child of a single family, uh, sing, single parent, uh, grew up just outside of Pittsburgh and uh, loved, my, loved my growing up experience there, which was um, full of sports and adventure and and all that sort of thing and and i think for this podcast in particular it was also full of uh consistent reminders that education was important uh and in particular higher education was really important my mother's mantra even though she didn't go to college herself she made it clear that um that i would be going to college and it, and it sounded sort of like boy, you're going to college. Uh, and that was, that was something that, that was always really consistent in, in my household. Um, but unfortunately, I didn't know exactly what that meant. So for a while, I thought maybe I'd show up at some building that's at college across the front, walk through the front doors, I'd say, I'm here. And they would welcome me because mom said I was coming. So that was how it worked. But of course, it doesn't work like that. Yeah. And, and as you went through this process, what led you to Dartmouth and what was your time like playing football there? Yeah, so, um, you know, I, I, did, uh, I did play sports uh, growing up, loved playing sports, and, and in particular, football was my favorite. And I had dreams of the NFL, like, you know, every young football star, uh, and um, made it to the college level. I was recruited to play um to play uh, football at, at Dartmouth College, which was an incredible experience. Met some really talented folks who were also really serious about um, getting their education and, and about life and, and those sorts of things. Uh, I, was, um, I was pretty good in high school, um, but you know that, that doesn't always translate to the college level. So I was on the team, let's put it that way. I did earn, I did earn a couple of varsity letters, but, uh, but it, it became very, very clear uh, that I wasn't headed to the pros. At the same time, I got a great education. I got a chance to um, be in classrooms with some of the smartest people I'd ever met. I got a chance to travel and um, go abroad. Uh, so you know, I really tapped into the, the college experience. Uh, and, um, you know, there was just so much to take advantage of. And, and perhaps had I had a little bit better preparation, I would have known even better what sort of things I could take advantage of once I got to college. But I, I did pretty well. I did all right. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and throughout your process, or even towards the end of your undergrad, what led you into admissions? Oh, that's a fun story. So I, I really thought that I was going to be the next great advertising guru and, um, you know, was interviewing with ad firms in New York and in, in Chicago. And, um, and they were flying me to the, these places to interview with them. So I thought, you know, that's pretty amazing. Um, unfortunately, I never got a job offer out of all of that work. And so I went to, to visit with a mentor. 
somebody who uh, had been in the dean's office, uh, dean of students' office, and transitioned into the undergraduate admissions office. And I just went in to sort of talk about, you know, next steps, what can I do with my life? And she uh, told me about an opening in the undergraduate admissions office. And so I applied for it, I got the job. And um, Dario on day one, I mean, day one, when they started explaining through my orientation, the things that I would be doing, the stuff that I would be responsible for, I fell in love. I was like, this, this is a passion right now. This is amazing. I had an opportunity to reach into communities like the one that I came from yeah. um, that wasn't necessarily, you know, a, a, a difficult community to grow up in, but, you know, it was a working class um, uh, and, and college just wasn't the goal for everybody there. And, and so I had an opportunity to go and, and share my story like what an easy job I can go and talk about you know what I learned about getting into college and so that was that was exciting to me and it was something that I I was really you know I was thrilled to be able to provide that sort of service to uh, young people like like me so yeah sort of stumbled into the profession that that I love right now and as we kind of get into this idea of like serving students especially getting them these really great opportunities throughout your time in admissions especially now as, as dean of admissions are there or what are the systemic issues within the college admissions process in general that caught your attention? Oh, you know, I mean, this is a this is a um, ever evolving profession, and it's one that you know my colleagues and I we take really seriously in terms of how do we create access for as many people as possible. Um, I think some systemic issues is that that you know there's this this um, unfortunate focus on a very few elite institutions as being the only colleges and universities that people should um, uh, aspire to. When in fact there are, uh, you know, there are 4,000 plus colleges and universities just in this country alone. There's lots of opportunities and lots of ways to figure out how to take advantage of post-secondary education. So. You know, I'm on a mission along with some other admissions professionals to spread that message that that this is a process not about getting into the elite colleges, but identifying what the best college or university might be for individuals. You know, this this is a process where oftentimes I'm asked, what what is NYU looking for? Right. I mean, that's the big question. What is college X looking for? But the answer to that question is unhelpful. Right. You spend time in my work working to make sure that you have a class that is well-rounded. That means I need poets. I need athletes. I'm looking for physicists. I'm looking for artists. There's all sorts of things that I'm looking for because that's what makes our university great. That's that sort of opportunity to exchange and be with people who are unlike you. Right. That's not what's helping young people find the right choice. What, what the question should be is, you know, what is college all about? Why do I want to be there? And how is it going to help me achieve my academic and career goals? And not every college or university does that just because, you know, there's an elite name associated with a particular college or, or institution doesn't mean that it's the right place for everyone. And so that's one area that, that I think that higher education can 
continue to work on to uh, you know, dispel some of these myths about what the right or the best college might be. And of course, there's you know, big questions about the testing and standardized testing. And as far as systemic issues are, are concerned, trying to get the right message out about how tests are used, what's the value of using a standardized test, are they uh, uh, keeping students at a disadvantage? And I think, you know, something like a standardized test has the potential to keep someone at a disadvantage if the people that are using them don't understand what they mean and, and how, in fact, to use them. Um, the more important thing is that, you know, a holistic evaluation process allows you to take something like a standardized test and use it in context with a transcript and a, a grade point average and a course selection to use it in context with uh, uh, what what recommendations might be in, in an application or what a student says about themselves. All of those things together help us to make decisions. But, you know, this one data point that seems to be all absorbing in the news uh, is not the thing that we like to think drives decisions for us. And so that's one other area that I think you know, with a little better information out there, we can help people relax a little bit about yeah. standardized tests and understand in the context of the uh, evaluation and selection process, how in fact they may or may not be used. It's a, it's a lot, I mean, it's, it's a loaded question. There are a lot of, you know, uh, yeah. uh, higher education and, and college admissions in particular is not immune to uh, the things that, that um, exist in society that create systemic issues. And so we, as a profession, always have to be thoughtful and mindful about how do we do our work? How do we um, address biases that come up? You know, everybody has their individual yeah. biases. And so how do we make sure that those things don't negatively influence uh, our process and that we can be as, uh, as equitable as possible in our uh, evaluation and selection? I mean, you kind of touched on that issue already with uh, the idea of test optional, but what do you think um, specific to the process of admissions uh, has changed, you know, given the pandemic? Um, and maybe even like, what have you learned from an admission cycle amidst COVID and all everything that's happened because of it? The pandemic is something that, you know, we just we just could not have foreseen or or planned for, right? And, you know, I, I honestly, I feel... I really feel badly for what young people have been going through uh, these past 18 months or so with respect to identifying colleges, applying to colleges, but, but just sort of you know, trying to engage in such an important time in your life. You know, uh, the, the, the um, inability to participate in sports activities or clubs or extra, other extracurriculars, having to be in remote environments and isolated while, you know, attending school. I mean, these are really difficult things that make, they create anxiety, they create stress, uh, and uh, they create a great deal of uncertainty and a great deal of unknown. Um, when the pandemic first struck, it was uh, really towards the end of, or, or when it first struck here in the United States and, and things started to shut down, it was right before we were re ready to release decisions. So toward the end of our uh, evaluation selection process, and there were all of these reports that were out, uh, you know, 
people smarter than me, but I wonder, um, putting out information saying, this is how students are going to react. And, um, you know, this, this sense that everybody's going to try and defer their entry into college, or they were going to make these, these, um, these decisions. No one knew, none of us knew what was going to happen. But what I did anticipate, and what did happen to come true, was that people would feel better once they started to receive their acceptance letters and they would feel like, you know, now I've got a sense of direction. Now I know what to go through. And that's really what played out um, uh, for, for many of us at the college level. You know, this cycle is a little bit different because we've had so much experience with the pandemic and, um, and students have figured out ways to, to stay engaged and stay involved. Uh, and so, one of the things that has changed is is how do we assess uh, how do we assess the experience that students have had? You know, the ones who would have been president of their class had had they been in person, uh, the ones who you know would have been captain of the baseball team, or the ones who would have started uh, a new nonprofit um, because you know they they were engaged on a daily basis with their with their mates and and could have those kinds of conversations, um, uh, you know, informally and, and impromptu. And so, part of our work is to really understand the communities that students are coming from, the kinds of decisions that that school boards have made about the way that school would be conducted. Um, that's a lot of information to gather and to take into consideration as we go through our selection process. So that's that's a significant change. I will say um, on a more positive note, one of the things that I've absolutely, um, uh, that I'm absolutely excited about that we will be doing, you know, for the foreseeable future is engaging with people virtually. So, you know, part of the work that admissions does is to recruit and we visit high schools, we hold information sessions, we are visiting places all over the globe to talk about our message of, of uh, NYU as a, as a viable option. You know, what happened for everybody is that we went virtual as a result of the pandemic. And what we began to understand is that we could hold a panel discussion or we could really curate a, um, we could really curate a, a moment about things that, you know, would not necessarily draw a large crowd if we were to show up in, you know, uh, name the city USA. And it would be a really limited uh, group of folks who could actually access that. But we can put out an invitation through a Zoom link to thousands of people and have, you know, tons of folks show up. Uh, We saw this happen with uh, our Midwest outreach. Instead of you know, showing up at city after city, uh, hoping that we'd get good large crowds, we were able to invite entire states, an entire region to one event. And as a result, we saw increases in applications from, from the Midwest. Uh, and we were able to do things like hold a panel discussion on what it's like to be a native or indigenous person uh, in honor of today being Indigenous uh, People's Day. Um, we could, hold a, we could hold a panel discussion and have people from all over the United States log in and find out that specific information. That would have been lost if we tried to 
you know, duplicate that in person. Uh, that would have been lost to so many people. So, um, you know, in addition to some in-person recruitment that we'll continue to do, we have this opportunity now to also host these virtual events for people who, you know, may want to find out about a very specialized aspect of NYU, or for those who just don't have the means to get to uh, New York City uh, or to some other event that we might be hosting. So those are a few things that I think um, definitely stand out for me for the, over the, the past 18 months. Um, and, uh, you know, test optional is, is probably other other piece where uh, we've given students the opportunity to decide whether or not they want to submit their testing. And we've had to work to, um, uh, to really you know, put our money where our mouth is. We've always said that you know, there's never any one piece of data that makes the decision, that it's a holistic process. And so the absence of a test score uh, should not hold any student at a disadvantage or, or an advantage. Uh, and so um, uh, we saw that play out in the evaluation process as well, that, you know, uh, there, were, there, weren't any, um, uh, there weren't any measurable differences in the way that those students who chose not to uh, submit testing were reviewed in our process. What keeps you motivated um, in continuing with admissions? What makes you want to go to your job every day? Look, I'm telling you, the, the feeling that I got on that day one, I still get it every day, knowing that wow. there's opportunities to create access for folks who might not have even thought that that college, let alone forget NYU, people who may have never thought that college was in their future. I mean, there's nothing, um, there's nothing that, that gets me excited more about what I do than knowing that there are uh, young people out there who um, this year are going to hear a message and that message is going to change their lives and they're going to realize that higher education is both an option for them and an opportunity for them uh, and it's going to help uh, them to achieve some of their their goals and their dreams and there are lots and lots of students who are out there who who are in that 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 mindset who either think that they don't have the the skills or don't think that they have the money or whatever it might be to, to really think about college as an opportunity. And the truth is that there are so many ways that people can access higher education. And, you know, it's incumbent upon us as um, uh, post-secondary educators to do a better job, frankly, to get that message out there and to let people, communities, let families know that there really are some opportunities and that, you know, some of these, <clears throat> some of these barriers that, that pop up in, in the news or, you know, from, from friends who think that they know what's going on, um, you know, we, we need to do a better job of, of breaking down some of those uh, and, and helping people to, to find their path. And especially from your own experience as a first uh, generation student, and so is the same for a lot of our team here at Pupil, what are you currently doing and what are great institutions like NYU currently doing to make it easier for us as students to find better pathways, right? Because there's a lot of students that would be amazing for NYU, but they don't know they can afford it, or they don't know they would be an amazing applicant, or they don't know that they would probably be one of their best students in the most recent years. They would be amazing, but they just don't know, or there's a lot of yeah. universities that 
you know, may not have that right initiative just now. So with that being said, what, what are you doing with your current uh, leadership, especially with your own experiences to, to help solve that and guide those students? Yeah, I like to think, thanks, thanks for that question. I like to think that we're actually, that we're leading a charge in this um, by uh, developing what's known as our pipeline and access division. So in addition to uh, what we do to recruit students, which is you know, to co connect with community-based organizations, to, um, to connect with uh, um, uh, trusted advisors of, of different kinds of organizations that, that help us to expand our access to uh, all kinds of students. One of the things that's really important is that, you know, other people aren't going through what I went through to sort of figure out what college is, that it's not just some building with the name college across the top, right? And so we've developed within uh, NYU a, uh, an entire division that is working on access and, and identifying talent that's uh, doing research to better understand how young people get these messages and how we can make sure that they um, are, are gaining better access. And so there are things that we do like uh, the College Access Leadership Institute, which is an intensive week-long uh, boot camp uh, that, that um, helps people, helps young people um, understand what the college uh, admissions process is like. And at the end of that, they are charged with spreading the message and spreading the word. We have the College Connections Program, which works with middle schools to um, uh, run uh, students through a curriculum that talks about uh, why, helps them to make the connection between what they're doing in the classroom and applying for college and going to college. Uh, and, and we do other things uh, around um, uh, leveraging conversations with people who are experts in this field to get the, get the word out um, that college is accessible. Uh, and here's the things that are important to know about ac accessing college. So we are doing that at NYU. Uh, I'm really proud of this division. Um, Dario, you know it well in, in some respects. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, and I, I'm really excited about uh, our reach and how much it's expanding um, and it's expanding exponentially. So we're doing that and we're modeling for other colleges and universities out there to, to do the same thing. Because when you think about the resources that are available, I like to compare uh, a student's uh, academic journey to a three-legged stool, right? And so one of the legs of that stool is the student and their family and what they may or may not know about accessing college. Uh, the other leg, another leg is the school that they attend and the community that surrounds them, whether they're a part of a community-based organization or um, you know, they're involved in something that, that helps them understand uh, what college is like. The third leg is, is higher education itself. And when you look at the resources connected to those three legs, Higher education is the one that's gonna be the fattest, right? It's the one that's got the most resources. It's the one that understands, you know, if a student has X, Y, and Z preparation, then they are going to be successful at this level. Um, and it's probably the one who is least engaged in the student's development prior to them showing up to college campuses. And so I'm looking to reverse that so we could be engaged in communities and with families well before 
they get to high school even uh, to help them understand what that path is like and uh, ideally uh, ultimately be able to put together a solid application to college, whatever uh, institution that may be. And before I drink from this gorgeous cup that <laughs> NYU sent from their NYU Cali program, can you tell us a bit more about NYU Cali and what does it mean for those students who get in? Yes, yeah, so, um, so every year uh, for the past 10 years, actually this was the 11th year, uh, we, have, we have brought students to campus. And, and of course, during the pandemic, we've had to, had to do this virtually, but we've brought students to campus, um, primarily uh, people who are first generation college goers themselves or coming from communities where resources aren't quite as, as um, uh, where resources are spread a little bit more thin than maybe in some other communities. And we bring them for an intensive week long period to talk about um, uh, what college is all about, to help students figure out what their college list might look like, to uh, help them uh, get started on an essay. Uh, many complete their essays or a, a draft of an essay by the time they're there to help them understand the context of SAT scores and, and grade point averages. Uh, and we bring in some of our colleagues. It's not just uh, NYU admissions folks um, who, when we are in person, not only are they uh, chaperones, they stay in the residence halls with the students. Um, and uh, commit their entire week. But we bring in other deans of admissions. We bring in um, other uh, folks from the higher ed community to help reinforce this message. And it's called the College Access Leadership Institute. And um, it's an institute because the concept is that not only will you attend this and gain uh, knowledge as a result of attending, but that you will also share that knowledge as a, as a semi-expert. Uh, and, um, and so at the end of a really intense week of bonding and learning and, uh, and working hard, uh, students who attend the, the Cali um, uh, are, are charged with going out and doing good, which means that they have to uh, share what they learned, um, either with their classmates or with the programs that they attend, but they have a responsibility of sharing that. One of the great things about Cali is, as you said, some of the admissions folks or even some of the folks from the community were like mentors to us. And as you see, that's what we're working on here at Pupil is accessible student mentorship. And, and so with that being said, who was your first mentor and how did they help you within your own growth? Gosh, first mentor. I, you know, there there are a number of people that I could probably point to. You know, like uh, football coaches and and Sunday school teachers and and you know my pastor. Um, but the person that I think I, I really want to point to is is that that um, uh, that mentor that that got me on this path of of college admissions was somebody um, who ultimately became a really good friend. Um, in addition to that, but, but you know, um, I think one of the things that's, that's a, a real responsibility for, for a mentor is to listen. And the thing that I loved about um, uh, working with this person is that she would listen and, you know, uh, would not pass any sort of judgment on the kinds of craziness that I, I was spewing um, and then provide some insight 
as to, you know, how I was thinking about things and how perhaps some shift in, in the way that I was thinking about things could help me a little further along. I honestly, I've, I've had, I, early on in my, my career, I, I had a misperception of what a mentor was. Um, and, you know, it's not until I was able to reflect back on the people in my life that made a difference that I started to understand what this meant. I really thought that a mentor was, you know, somebody that, um, that I would uh, latch onto and they would take me under their wing and, um, and we would be, you know, um, mentor and mentee forever and ever and ever. Uh, and that's not true for everyone. I mean, I think it's really, it's a blessing when, when that does happen. Um, but there's a phrase uh, that uh, helps guide me in thinking about this. You know, people are in your life for a reason, for a season, or for a lifetime, right? And you have these three options. And sometimes, you know, it could be a very brief interaction with someone who drops a bit of knowledge that just changes your perspective on things and changes your life. Sometimes it could be somebody who you know, because of your circumstances, either where you live or, you know, the job that you have or where you're going to school uh, that you connect with and, and really can help you along um, uh, during that time. And then, you know, they're, they're out of your life. Uh, and then there are those people, you know, like I said, it's a real blessing to have in your life for a lifetime. And trying to figure out where to place those folks is, I think, a um, as a misperception, that was one of the things that uh, I think was that, that I didn't do well early on. But once I came to understand, I could really just appreciate in the moment why somebody might be in my life and why somebody um, uh, could, could be a mentor for you know, a short period of time or a long period of time. Um, and so you know, I would share that, that you know, try not to put too many labels or too many um, uh, restrictions on uh, who could potentially be a mentor and just allow them to mentor you. That's so great. Cause I think that like so much of life experiences are built on like understanding those um, moments of misperceptions and like learning from them. How has a failure or maybe even an apparent failure set you up for later success? Do you have a like favorite failure of yours? Favorite failure. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, I will share this story. Uh, so, excuse me, I just need a sip of water. I'll take one from my end one of you one too. <laughs> <laughs> You're repping better than me. Um, <laughs> although I do have the pin. You so, me, uh, you know, many, 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 many years ago, uh, as a young college uh, admissions officer, I thought that I was really hot stuff, you know, um, I was what, probably about 24, 25 years old. Um, I was working for an Ivy League institution. Um, you know, I was wearing, uh, uh, you know, suits and ties. And, and uh, I really, you know, thought that I knew what was going on. And there was a group of young people. I was working at the University of Pennsylvania at the time in Philadelphia. And um, uh, a friend of mine, worked at this organization in New York that still exists called Prep for Prep. And she brought a group of young people down and Prep for Prep is an organization that works with um, students who show a lot of promise coming from under-resourced communities. 
and they worked to get them into preparatory schools with the idea that maybe that would help launch them into a, uh, a college environment. So she brought this, this group of students down from Philly and, um, and I did my thing. You know, I'm doing my information session, I'm thinking, you know, I'm cracking jokes and people are laughing. And there's this young man who was all the way in the back of the room and he was just sort of, you know, he was leaning over to one side, looked like he was asleep at certain points. And I was like thinking, you know, what's going on with this guy? And, um, and uh, you know, I didn't expect much of him from him. Finished my session, opened it up for Q&A. His was the first hand to go up. I'm thinking to myself, what is he you know, going to crack a joke? He's probably going to try and upset. And he goes, yeah, yeah, all that's well and good. But my understanding is that the Ivy League is for white people who can pay for it. So why are you even talking to us? And it, it crushed me in a way because part of the reason I remember why I said I got into this business was to be able to talk to people who came from similar circumstances as me and convince or show them what their opportunity was. I completely missed it. I was so caught up in being this flashy, you know, young professional that I didn't speak to the experience that any of those students actually were having. And so for him, for that to be the first question, for him to ask me that question, I learned a couple of things. One is you never know what people are listening to, right? So don't, don't, judge, don't judge your audience if they look like they might be asleep. Uh, but two, you have to know your audience, right? It's not just about knowing who I was and what my skill set was, but it's also understanding how I show up and, and how do I need to show up for the communities that I'm working with. And that lesson has stayed with me. I'm, I'm twice that age now uh, and then some. And that lesson always pops to mind when people ask me this question, you know, because I, I completely missed the boat. I completely missed what I was supposed to be doing. I was supposed to be making that connection. I was too busy trying to show off. So that was, that was a good one. And then are there any quotes or sayings that you live your life by? Oh, a number. So I, let me think of what I want to share with you. I saw this question on, uh, on the sheet that you gave me <laughs> and I thought, oh, okay. Um, you know, one of them is nothing beats a failure for a tr but a try. That was that was my, one of my other my mother's other favorite quote. Boy, you're going to college and nothing beats a failure with a try. Um, you know, no matter how difficult things can get, uh, if you don't try, you'll never know if you can be successful. And uh, you know, this speaks to an issue that that is really prevalent for a lot of. Um, for a lot of young people, uh, and in particular, young people of color uh, who are going to um, uh, college to predominantly white institutions, and this idea of imposter syndrome. Um, you know, I think it's so critical for people to understand that wherever they are, that's where they're supposed to be right then and there. Um, and if you work hard at it, you're going to get something out of it. You're definitely going to get something out of it. And sometimes, you know, yeah, there may be some mismatches or there may be times when, when things aren't going your way, um, but you can always feel good about putting in the effort of trying. Uh, and, um, you know, I've had some, some difficult moments in my life and difficult jobs and, 
and experiences, but that has always stayed true with me. Nothing beats a failure, but a try. So um, that's, I guess that was the one that I wanted to settle on. No, I, I think that's an amazing quote. Um, and, and, and with that being said, how much importance do you lay on, on folks investing in underrepresented youth? How important do you think it is is to always bet on that underdog or that student who never gets like that? Well, I think, you know, it, it goes back to um, uh, understanding the communities that we're working with, right? That, that there are those diamonds in the rough or there are those people who, uh, you know, with, with maybe just a little bit of, of counseling uh, or, or interaction that things will work out for them. I, I so, so there was a time when, when I was not doing college admissions. Um, I had left college admissions for a little while and was working in a nonprofit. And, and, you know, here's another great lesson, life lesson that came out of this. We ran a uh, after-school tutoring program for elementary age students. And we would pair, um, this was in Washington, D.C. We would pair young people, students from a local college with an elementary school in Washington, D.C. Three days a week, we'd show up uh, with a van full of students and they would do uh, tutoring exercises, mostly around reading with these young kids. And, you know, there were some really devastating situations. You'd have a fourth grader who was reading on a kindergarten level, right? And, uh, and, and that's not a good foundation for anybody. But what we learned in that space was that that 30 minutes, three times a week, did wonders for those students' reading skills. We would catch up within one semester. They would be on level and some of them would advance. And it just said to me that if you just take the right time, the right amount of time to do the right things with the right people, you're going to see those advances. You're gonna see that payoff. And so, um, you know, uh, being able to, to figure out uh, the way in which you can um, uh, spend time with, with uh, communities or with people who uh, just need your attention, right? For a short period of time, um, it makes a difference. There's, there's a story of a professor in, at the University of Texas uh, who did something similar with uh, um, students who would come in and were failing this math class, this introductory math class. And it would, you know, it turned, it would be devastating for them. You know, these were people who thought they were going to be math majors or needed math for the kinds of things. And, and so uh, this professor would just, you know, identify these students based on their performance about partway through the semester. And he would work with them and he'd work with them one-on-one -on -one, and he'd spend time with them. And by the end of the semester, not only had they caught up, they didn't need him anymore. And so, um, you know, I think there are some really great examples of when you take the time uh, and, and serious time um, with people who might uh, need your help and need your support and your assistance, you can make a world of difference in a very short period of time. In the scope of um, these last five years, I'm curious to know if there's been a new sort of belief or behavior uh, or habit that has most improved your life? Wow. Uh, a, a behavior, a habit that's most improved my life. Yeah, I will say that these last five years at NYU, and this isn't necessarily specific to NYU, but I think just 
you know, we all mature as uh, we have different experiences. I think one of the things that, that um, has been uh, consistently rewarding is that I've learned how to pause, think, and, and enjoy the experience um, before responding, you know, listening to questions so that, um, you know, I'm not creating my answer before I hit, hear the full question. Um, you know, being in conversations and taking the time uh, to just really think about what I'm hearing and what I'm experiencing before actually um, uh, responding. And, and it just makes me feel like a more thoughtful person, but I also feel like I'm gaining more out of life's experiences as a result of that. Uh, so that's that's a behavior that, you know, I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm not doing it all the time. Sometimes I'm still going way too fast or I'm not listening the way I should be. Um, but you know, having had some of those experiences where um, uh, where I've seen it work for myself, um, I, I'm reminding myself a little bit more often. Uh, so, yeah, that's a that's that's a great question, first of all. And um, you know, I think there are all sorts of ways that that people can uh, change their behavior. Um, some things that I've heard. Uh, which I which I thought were really good ideas. Um, recently, I heard somebody say they make sure to meet somebody new every day. You know, everybody every day that that they exist, they make sure that they've met someone new, whether it's you know um, uh, a new colleague at work or a barista at, at their coffee shop or whatever it might be. Um, you know, that's a that's an interesting goal to set for yourself, and and I think can really impact the way. Um, you experience life. So paying attention, listening, uh, pausing, um, and then and then reacting, I think is, is helpful. And before ending today's amazing chat, we have a few quick hitters for you. Are you ready for them? Uh, I, I don't know. All right, <laughs> but here we go. What's your favorite hour of the day? Got to be um, about 7 a.m. Just getting up, just getting started. Maybe I'm at the gym. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get the pump in. Yeah. So as Dean of Admissions, what are your favorite types of socks? <laughs> I need socks that are thick enough that I can feel them, but thin enough that they're not making me feel like my feet are stuffed in my shoes. Sweet spot. Right? Sweet spot. Yeah. And definitely stripes. So we're not trying to get political, but what are your stance on jorts? Jorts? Yes, jorts are a combination of shorts and jeans. Yes, for sure. Um, and I think uh, I think they're a brilliant invention, not for everybody. Agreed, agreed. And if you're a rapper, what would your stage name be? <laughs> DJ spits a lot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you came with the bars. And then if you could put one thing on a massive billboard, what would it say? Um, call home. Okay. 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 It sounds like a Drake song, right? You used to call me on my phone. Okay. Well, Dean Williams. <laughs> Dean Williams, this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for coming on to our podcast. This is incredibly exciting for us all. Um, and we hope you have a great day. Hey, thanks for inviting me. You all continue to do the good work and, uh, you know, looking forward to seeing great things from all of you.